Will Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Welcome to our continuing podcast series, Turning the Tide, Saving the Chesapeake Bay. It's my great pleasure to welcome CBF's new vice president today, Lisa Felt, vice president of, of really um, our largest department, the department that does all of the policy work, the fisheries work, restorations, and across the entire Bay watershed. So welcome, Lisa. Well, thank you. It's great to be here you know, into week three. <laughs> in week three, and we're <laughs> delighted to have you. I, I, I sometimes say, what took you so long to get here? Uh, Lisa's, Lisa's had uh, a career expand uh, over three decades um, in both the private sector and the government sector. You worked at the federal level for the Federal Environmental Protection Agency, and you ran Montgomery County's uh, environmental programs. And Montgomery County, for those not in Maryland, is Maryland's largest county. It's adjacent to Washington, D.C. When uh, your predecessor, Kim Coble, left CBF after 25 mm -hmm. years, and when she retired from CBF, we had over 300 applicants. I don't know if I ever told you that for your job. No, you did not, yeah, Will. 300 <laughs> applicants. So first, congratulations. Well, it's an incredible honor to uh, finally be here and incredible honor to be selected out of 300 candidates, which I'm sure there were incredible uh, credentials with many of those candidates as well. So I am thrilled to be here at Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Uh, you know, I've never gotten over uh, the sort of feeling of pride for the organization when we get that number of candidates for, for, for many of our jobs and from all over the country and, and often all over the world. So, and yeah, there were some great finalists, We, as you know, because I told you we had five finalists and um, I, I'm still apologizing for how long the process took, but um, it was worth it. Uh, so thank you again. So, so here's my first question, and you know, we talked about this during the interview process and since you've been here, but what, what drew you to CBF? So what drew me to the Chesapeake Bay Foundation was both professionally and personally, uh, a commitment professionally to continue to fight for clean water, clean air, and clean land, and taking it directly to Chesapeake Bay Foundation's longstanding mantra of saving the bay. Uh, was really uh, an incredible attraction and honor for me to be able to help in this next evolution of saving the bay. So that's it from a professional standpoint. From a personal standpoint, uh, five years ago after a long search and a deep love of water all my life, we and my husband and myself, my husband's retired, we bought property uh, on the West River and have lived there for the last five years. And the West River is one of the uh, rivers that feed into Chesapeake Bay. And I get to see it every day. <laughs> you uh, live and breathe it. And I get to kayak on it, and I get to sail on it, and do all the things that make water uh, so powerful. And to be able to marry that now very directly with the work I do um, was just such an incredible natural uh, progression for me professionally. So. Again, honored to be here. You, you've, you've worked in some big deals. I mean, I think of the little old Chesapeake Bay Foundation. I mean, you were at EPA. We're going to talk more about that in a second. Really, you know, in top tier of EPA's management. You ran a huge uh, 
environmental program in Montgomery County with thousands of employees. You worked in the private sector. CBF, it looks like you're going down, not up. <laughs> Just Well, it's funny because I got asked the same question when I went from EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, to Montgomery County. Because some people say, you know, you, do, you did it in reverse. You start <laughs> at the local level and then you work your way up. And I've always been um, privileged to have opportunities come before me and uh, that make sense for me. And part of my portfolio is to experience as many uh, perspectives as possible. So federal perspective, clearly I've had uh, lots of different roles in the federal government. Um, when I did my environmental consulting firm for 10 years, I specifically targeted just working with private sector clients to work to understand that perspective. Clearly, the local level uh, in Montgomery County for the last three years was an incredible job. And part of what I said then, and I think it much applies to Chesapeake Bay Foundation as one of the most significant nonprofits around all things Chesapeake Bay, is the nexus between policy and on the ground results, as I call it. And so uh, thinking about the nonprofit sector and coming to that, I think the nexus between what the Bay Foundation does in terms of its robust outreach and education, its advocacy role, its you know, on-the-ground restoration role, whether it be the tree campaign or the oyster campaign, are really um, a progression for me. So I don't see this as coming down, I actually see it as going up and expanding my horizons. And hopefully, you know, I'll be able to support and help Chesapeake Bay Foundation in bringing the many perspectives I have uh, into it in terms of saving the bay. Well, Lisa, as you can imagine, those words are music to my ears. I, I've been doing this for 41 years, so I, I tend to agree with you. It's a great place to work. The, um, the department you run has a, has a long name, and it's a big department and geographically diverse. It's CBF's largest department, as I said, Environmental Protection and Restoration. So it's all of our policy work with regard to laws and regulations at the federal, state, and local level. It's uh, everything related to fisheries management, from crabs to oysters to rockfish and all the other species. And then as you, you know, briefly mentioned, restoration work, working with landowners, often with farmers, to help install best management practices to help filter runoff from land. And you know, we work from Norfolk, Virginia, Virginia Beach, all the way up to the headwaters west and east. So it's, a, it's, it's big and diverse, the largest number of people of any other department. You've been here, this is your third week, <laughs> what, what, any observations? Well, you know, I think I was lucky to join uh, the week of July 4th, so I had an opportunity to really, you know, right from the get-go start getting my arms about the way the Chesapeake Bay Foundation runs, the way the particular department runs. Um, I've focused a lot in the last three weeks of meeting all the people uh, that work not only in the program that I now have the honor to lead, but with my fellow uh, vice presidents across the organization, 
development, outreach, communication, uh, the administration piece, the litigation piece, all those things are incredibly important and I'm just one cog in that wheel to make uh, the success of the Ch Chesapeake Bay Foundation moving forward. Um, I'm not surprised by anything. Uh, I think one thing I have observed, and a lot of people have used this term, you're, you know, you're drinking out of the fire hose. I'm, on that I can tell you, rest assured, I'm used to drinking out of the fire hose, and I thrive uh, in, in an organization that has lots of moving parts, lots of opportunities, lots of challenges. So um, this is the beginning of my third week, and I feel completely like I'm at home. Oh. Um, so oh. it's wonderful to be here. Golly, that's just more music to my ears. So, so I can't tell you how grateful I am. For our, for our listeners, uh, we have about, I have about seven direct reports, including my executive assistant, all aspects of CBF, as you say, from fundraising and development to administration, education, communications, and you mentioned litigation. And I think it is important to uh, note that the litigation team of lawyers, of litigators that we have on board under v Vice President John Mueller is a separate and distinct department from your department, from the policy, de policy end. But you two, you, your two departments work closely together, and each is a real resource to the other. Correct, and I've already seen that. In fact, I came from the first, what is a bi-weekly meeting, talking about all the issues that are on both the legal and regulatory agenda. Uh, and there's a lot of them out there right now, especially at the federal level, and how we work together to determine the best strategy with a direct focus and nexus on uh, the Chesapeake Bay and continuing the good work that goes on there. And it's, it's not unlike EPA and the Department of Justice, where you have the policy arm and the litigation or legal arm as well. Correct. And even within EPA, uh, you know, uh, you have the policy arm and the general counsel who's working very closely with Department of Justice. So I'm very used to that construct. And you need it. You need, um, you need all tools in the toolbox. And in fact, you know, our VP for litigation, John Mueller, spent 17 years at the Department of Justice. Well, let's, um, let, let's talk a little bit about your role at EPA. Um, that's really where you got your start, uh, an engineering background, mm -hmm. worked in the nuclear end of EPA. No, I, I worked in the nuclear end at Department of Energy. At the Department of Energy, excuse me, yeah. yes. Yeah. So give us give us a, just a synopsis of of some of your federal work, and then we'll turn to the to the local government. So I'll give you uh, a brief overview. Um, sometimes hard to do, over, <laughs> as you well know, over the span of thirty four years. But I had the honor, uh, right out of college, uh, being asked to well, being offered a job at EPA as an entry level engineer. And I went into the Superfund program, and for those who don't know what that is, though I'm sure many of you do, it's the uh, program at EPA that uh, is the linchpin to dealing, is the cornerstone to dealing with um, hazardous waste sites, the toxic waste legacy. And back, back in the day when I first started, it was you know the new kid in the block on EPA, for lack of a better term. And so I worked. 
um, with our regional, with EPA's regional offices, really all over the country, but focused on the New England and mid mid-Atlantic states, uh, and so got to know New York, got to know Pennsylvania, got to know Virginia, got to know West Virginia, all those um, wonderful states that feed into the Chesapeake Bay, Delaware included, Maryland, obviously, uh, which I've gotten to know a lot better over the course of my career, and uh, worked on a little-known site called Love Canal up in, uh, up in the upstate New York. Probably um, one of the preeminent Well, it, it is what created sites. Superfund uh, in terms of the work there. I, I will say I came in on the tail end of it. I wasn't involved right from the get-go, but had the honor to work on it. I spent about five years doing that kind of stuff, learning a lot, and you know, I say every day is a good day when you learn something new. And then I went on to also a new program, which was the radon program, uh, and EPA was just getting into radon, and spent a couple of the years there. Uh, I was program manager for the National Guidance for Measuring Radon in Schools and Homes, uh, back when that was first uh, published. And, you know, everyone knows where radon is today, and clearly in uh, this neck of the woods, especially in Pennsylvania and some of the Maryland area, uh, the whole issue of radon is a significant, continues to be a significant public health issue, so. We have high levels at our house and have put uh, in the- uh, Radon the mitigation. Netting. I mean, yep. the great thing about radon is, you know, it's easy to mitigate mm -hmm. uh, and not too costly for in, any one individual homeowner. And then uh, I was offered uh, an opportunity to go over to Department of Energy when they were first waking up to the need uh, for federal agencies to also comply with environmental regulations. And so even though it was a federal agency, I became not a regulator, I became regulated mm -hmm. uh, when I went over to Department of Energy. And they had a massive program. Uh, my first year there, it grew from about 300 million to 5 billion in one year to address the nuclear waste uh, legacy from the Cold War. And traveled all over the country, uh, did a variety of things. I ended up, after 11 years there, as chief of staff for the cleanup program at Department of Energy. And then I left Department of Energy and saying, what's missing? Uh, and going back to my theme, it's great to have many perspectives. And although I had worked a lot with the private sector in my regulator role and being regulated, I did not really know how the private sector operated and what, how they operated in the environmental arena. You know, and it's shifted a lot over the years, as I'm sure you've seen through the foundation. And so I started my own consulting company and did uh, environmental project management consulting with a variety of Fortune uh, 1000 companies, including utilities, chemical manufacturers, railroads, the full spectrum of industries. And it was a great, uh, great gig. Um, if you but had to pick one, what was the most challenging or the most interesting or the most difficult? Well, the most interesting from a, a sort of a history perspective was the railroads. Um, and I worked uh, with this one uh, industry in particular where Abraham Lincoln was 
uh, their first counsel. <laughs> and he actually turned around and sued that company. I won't mention it here, but <laughs> folks can probably figure it out because they didn't pay him in a timely basis. So the whole history of company acquisition and how you know, the environmental legacy follows those acquisitions was incredibly fascinating. In terms of the types of challenges, you know, the utility sector clearly is, uh, you know, uh, you have all, all different perspectives on that. The chemical manufacturing obviously is another significant one. The mining uh, companies, some out west, were fairly significant um, environmental challenges. So I really learned uh, quite a bit over the course of 10 years. But then in 2009, I had really the incredible privilege of being asked after 25 years to come back to the Environmental Protection Agency, where I started my career and work uh, and as a political appointee under President Obama and work as a deputy assistant administrator, which is sort of number two in the specific offices, uh, for those of you who don't know the bureaucracy uh, of EPA. And that was with my old friend, Bob Perciusepi. Well, was he, that... was, he was a deputy at that point. Right. That was under the first part of the administration, which Lisa Jackson was, was the administrator. And Lisa and I uh, knew each other from our first days at EPA, where, where we were both you know, junior people coming into starting out our careers at EPA. We were roommates, and I had been there all of two years more than Lisa, so I was considered her mentor. Well, well for those who don't know, Lisa Jackson was the first EPA administrator under President Obama, and really the one the Chesapeake Bay Foundation negotiated with when we sued EPA, the result of which was this pollution reduction protocol we call the Chesapeake Clean Water Blueprint. So yeah, Lisa is truly one of our heroes. Well, and it was incredible watching it from within EPA as well. And, and I, it was a significant, significant event uh, entering into that blueprint back in 2010. And I think although, you know, work and foundation was there, I think that was the first um, overall uh, you know, with with commitments and measurable commitments that really, um, you know, started to continue to turn the course of the Chesapeake Bay and where you find yourself eight years later with, you know, a lot of progress behind us, but significant work that lies ahead. So, um, but, you know, you're, you're right. I mean, what, what was so great for us is that it was the first agreement that really had some teeth and then also had the two-year milestones to give incremental checkpoints towards the ultimate 15-year goal of, of the reduction to the level science says is necessary. Yeah. Um, and, you know, being Deputy Assistant Administrator at EPA in the first term, I was in, in the uh, solid waste business again, which is, as you guys heard, where I started solid and hazardous waste. But, you know, at EPA, what, what uh, you mentioned Bob Perciusepi, who, as, as you know, is one of my mentors. Uh, I have many along the way, but he's one of my key mentors, and he was the deputy for the overall agency. And, you know, even at EPA, uh, we, you know, they strive for clean water, clean air, clean land. I was in the clean land portion of that group. 
but under the second term of the administration, uh, the former assistant administrator for AIR was promoted uh, and asked by President Obama to become administrator, Gina McCarthy, uh, another one of my mentors. And another hero of ours. Uh, an incredible hero with her work on the Clean Power Plan and, and all, all that she did in the time that she was there. So I was asked to come up and work directly with the deputy, and I was the associate deputy administrator for EPA. And then when Bob, after the longest serving deputy at EPA, left, uh, uh, in the last couple of months, I was acting deputy administrator. And uh, by that time, since it was a political appointed position, uh, I was already deciding, what comes next? What haven't I done? And uh, Montgomery County came knocking at the, at the door, and incredible privilege to serve uh, as head of that Department of Environmental Protection for three years and learned an incredible amount. And although Montgomery County is not one of the coastal areas to the bay, um, there's a tremendous amount of work going on in all the you know, large and small jurisdictions to address the components of both the blueprint and uh, very strong permits that exist for all local jurisdictions to deal with stormwater. And, and huge impacts to the second largest tributary of the Bay, the Potomac River, Correct. so clearly part of the Bay system. Yeah. Correct, and you know, the Anacostia nexus too. So, uh, in, Quickly, uh, when I uh, got on to Montgomery County, um, you know, the mantra of clean water, clean land, cleaned air, and I added a, a little tagline to it saying, it's connected. Mm -hmm. um, and all the local waterways uh, in Montgomery County or all the jurisdictions are ultimately connected to the Chesapeake Bay. Well, Lisa, you know, with your experience, as you look at where the Bay is today, as you said earlier, there's been real progress, but real challenges left ahead, a lot left to do. What sort of broad areas do you think uh, need to be addressed as we look at the next 10, 15 years? Well, I think clearly um, the aspect of uh, holding the system accountable uh, for continued uh, progress on the blueprint, meeting the 2025 uh, deadline for uh, the program, I think, is key. You know, I think in any um, environmental program, uh, you the tendency is when you make progress, and significant progress, is to let your guard down a little bit. And I think now is the time uh, not to let your guard down uh, and, and keep the focus working in collaboration with the state, local jurisdictions, the Chesapeake Bay Program Office, and all the partners that are involved and, and, and work hard to make it happen. I think the aspect of climate um, change or a changing climate, however people uh, uh, like to call it, um, is incredibly important, both on keeping the progress on the bay, but the resiliency 
of the bay moving forward um, and the infrastructure around the bay. So I think climate uh, change is very critical. I think uh, at this juncture it's incredibly important to um, understand what's going on at the federal level uh, in terms of the environmental uh, and natural resource uh, programs there. Under attack, I'll be the politically incorrect one. <laughs> I think it's incredibly important to stay very connected to that and I know Will you and I have talked a lot and some about that and we'll continue to think that through. Um, but also working with you know the state and local jurisdictions um, very closely um, to address thing, all things Bay. I think the um, continued focus on outreach and education is incredibly powerful and, and you know, Chesapeake Bay Foundation has done an incredible job on that and it needs to continue and continue at all levels. Um, even in this, what I'd call very enlightened environmental state that, you know, has progressed in the last 33 years, uh, you and I are very passionate about what we do uh, in terms of environmental and restoration of the Chesapeake Bay. And I think when you talk to people about clean water and clean air and clean land and get down to a common denominator, whether it be, you know, I want to make my living off the bay, I want to uh, have recreation on the bay, I want to enjoy the habitat of the bay, I want to kayak on the bay, um, you have to figure out who the audience is, who you're speaking to, and find um, find the common purpose and that's why I keep going back to clean water, clean land, clean air, it's all connected. Mm. Save the Bay. Mm. So true and you know you mentioned the importance of not resting on our laurels, the broader we, and the perfect example of that is what happened to Lake Erie, you know, 25 years ago, 20 years ago, held up as a great national success story for conservation for the environment. And today it's literally worse than ever, with some big cities you know, having no water supply at times because of toxic algal blooms. So we do have, uh, we do have to be careful. We do have a long way to go. What impresses me, and I want to ask you if you've seen it anywhere else, is, is what's at place on the Chesapeake Bay today. You have, with some wavering, the federal government totally bought in to the goal. You have all of the six states in the District of Columbia bought into the goal. You have all the local governments in those six states bought into the goal. And a variety of not-for-profit and even private sector partners all saying this is critically important. You also have a goal that's very specifically stated. Specific amounts of nitrogen, phosphorus, and sediment which must be reduced to meet the scientific standard for the Chesapeake Bay to be sustainable. Have you seen anything like that anywhere else in the country, much less the world? In all candor, I think this is an international um, model. Um, I have not seen all the pieces like that together and um, so long-standing too. I know it's evolved uh, and you know there have been fits and starts 
but uh, the commitment and, and the focus that exists and the partnership that exists. It's not that you don't have the challenges, but um, it is an international model um, for being specific, having lots of partnerships from a variety of sectors working together, having all the tools in the toolbox, having the funding for it. I mean, that's a key component, and that's supported uh, with the Chesapeake Bay, you know, certainly at the state and local levels. Uh, having a strong Bay Program Office with an EPA who sets sets the uh, you know does all the important work around modeling etc that I know we work with um, it's a unique model and it's uh, even even with you know at EPA there's the Chesapeake Bay program there's the Great Lakes program which Lake Erie is part of there's the Gulf Coast restoration program those are sort of the three large ones I'm sure I'm missing one uh, but this one, I think, in particular, and I could be biased at this point, <laughs> but in particular is the most well-defined, the most understood, uh, has all the right buy-in that's necessary. Best um, science. Best science. And I know, Will, you and I talked about, you know, why did you come to Chesapeake Bay Foundation and even explore that opportunity and the incredible commitment to the science and what what does the science tell you as long as you can communicate the science in a way people understand um, that uh, it's powerful and uh, that's you know that's rather unique and very difficult to do I mean it it sounds easy but it's incredibly difficult to do yeah we have such great scientific institutions at both the uh the public and private level, and it's really paid off. Well, Lisa, I think you and I are both optimists, and we yet we're pragmatists at the same time. We know how much is left to do, and yet we are determined and optimistic that we're going to get there, and we're going to do it in our lifetimes. Uh, that's my pledge, at least to myself. We'll see. So thank you very much. We're delighted to have you here. Uh, I can't tell you um, how much all of the staff who have communicated with me uh, are in terms of your outreach to them, your willingness to listen and to absorb and to really study uh, all that we have going on. So thank you. And I, I hope you'll accept my invitation in a couple of months or so, six months to come back and we'll pick up where we left off and you'll tell us what more we need to do and where we're going. My pleasure, and it's been uh, it's been fun for me. And you know, you mentioned all the great staff within the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, and it's the people that make the organization so uh, you know incredible group of people that are passionate, committed, and dynamic. So uh, we'll love to come back in a few months and uh, chat with you some more. Terrific. Thank you so much. Uh, this is Will Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Tune in to our podcast series every two weeks and go to our website, cbf.org, to learn more. Thanks, Lisa.